Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now at another place in this building or uh, at an off-site campus or online. We're glad that you guys uh, are along too. Hey, before I get into what I want to talk about, let's talk about the new year. How many of you are glad there's a new year coming? Hmm? You could use... You could use a reboot, a little bit of a reboot, and fresh start, and uh, we're excited about the new year. We're, we have declared that at Seacoast, this is going to be a year in the Word, and there's a lot to that, but one of the things we're going to do is, well, we start the new year with 21 days of fasting and prayer to kind of get us in the right mood. We're going to do something we've never done before. We're going to start starting first Wednesday, first Thursday, first Friday, first Saturday, and then Sunday. We're gonna do five days of revival. Now, we've never had revival. In fact, I was at a Christmas party with my neighbors, uh, a lot of whom are Baptists, and I said, we're gonna do five days of revival. They said, you know, that's a Baptist thing. I said, well, we're, we're gonna redeem the word, okay? And so, <laughs> anyway, so, anyway, we're gonna do five days. We're gonna start first Wednesday with Herbert Cooper. He's my friend who pastors in Oklahoma City, and he preached at our West Coast Conference, art conference, the best message I've ever heard in my life. And I said, Herbert, you gotta preach that at Seacoast. So he's gonna do it first Wednesday. Second night, Stephen Furtick, friend of mine from uh, Charlotte. And Stephen's gonna be here. And he's probably the greatest young preacher uh, on the planet today. So that'll be fun. And then uh, Derwin Gray, who is also a pastor in Charlotte, good friend of mine, used to play football for the Panthers and has an incredible story. And uh, he's gonna share uh, some of that. And uh, then we're going to carry it through the weekend. And so put that in your calendar. We're going to have fun. We're going to kick off the year with uh, a year in the Word. So it's going to be, it's, it's gonna be uh, something to look forward to. Um, we're in a series called Regifting. How many of you have ever regifted anything? Okay. Bunch of liars. How many of you? Let me give you another chance. How many of you regifted something already this Christmas? Okay, you've done that. Okay, good. Now, normally, regifting is not something you intentionally do. It just kind of happens. Now, some people intentionally do it, like Josh Walters, uh, <laughs> a father purposefully abuses his children by taking their gifts. That's from last week's message. By the way, he did a great job with that. Not with the regifting, but with the message. But usually, it just sneaks up on you, right? You... Uh, you come down to the last week before Christmas, this one. You don't want to go to the malls. I mean, yesterday, Deb said, would you like to go to town center? I said, I would rather put glass underneath my fingernails than go to <laughs> town center. I'm not going there, you know. And so, and you remember you forgot a gift for somebody, and so you just kind of scrounge around, and you find something that you could re-gift. Or maybe somebody sends you something. This happened to me this week. Somebody sent me something. I'm apparently on their list. They're not on mine. And so I took something that somebody else sent me and re-gifted, right? I mean, you just, you just do that. It's just kind of part of the overall process, and it's kind of fun. How many of you have ever been to an intentional re-gifting party? Anybody been to one of those? You used to call them white elephant parties. Maybe they still do. Anybody been to one of those? White elephant party, let me explain it to you. You go to a party. They usually, they usually have a, a limit on how much you can spend on a gift. They say, oh, you know, $10. All right, go buy something for $10. Bring it to the party, wrapped up, and then they pass out numbers to everybody. One through how many other people are there. And number one, uh, when it comes their turn, which they're first, by the way, number one is, they go, and I just, that's just in case you were wondering. But anyway, they... They go and they pick up a gift, 
and they bring it back, and they choose carefully, it could be a big box. Big boxes are scary, because usually $10, there's something weird inside of a big box. <laughs> they get a gift, they come back to their seat, they unwrap it, and then number two gets up. And if number two can do one of two things, they can go to the tree and get a gift, or they can steal the gift, from, that's the re-gifting part, steal a gift from number one. Some of you ever played that? And, and then, uh, you know, there's only so many times you can steal, you wanna stay in the game, it's fun, usually. I have a group of friends that tomorrow we're having a party for the 23rd or 4th straight year. They're here in the church. They know who they are. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's one of those parties. Now, among my friends, there are some people who are, um, they're uh, nice, conscientious, like my wife. In fact, she was saying to me today, we've got to get something nice for the regifting party. There, uh, every few years, they'll invite somebody new to the party. That's what we call that fresh meat. And most of my friends are ruthless. In fact, I was talking to one of them after service last night. They've, they've been on a year-long hunt for some worthless, demeaning gift. And so here's what happens. When it's your turn, if you happen to get a gift from one of the nice people, it's a nice gift, you try to hide it because you don't want somebody to steal it. You know, put it underneath paper or whatever. Uh, if you get, you know, a gift that's just kind of so-so, you try to display it so somebody else will take it because you want to be in the game. It's not about what you get. It's about being in the game. Let's suppose you get one of the worthless, demeaning gifts. You're going home with it. And somebody in the group is going to start the song. Happens every year. Na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na. Hey, 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 sing it together, goodbye. Yeah, because you're not going to be in the game anymore. You're going home with that. I've gone home with, let's see if I've got them here, mismatched socks, very handy. Uh, one year, one of my friends, I picked up uh, one of these, um, uh, what do you call them, bags, you know, Christmas bags. I got the nice, you know, all that, look harmless. Reach in there, and I, it's hairy, and it is uh, the hoofs off of a deer that they just, they just shot. My friends are disgusting. Just last year, and this is going to get wrapped up and re-gifted. I got this. I didn't use it last night, but I'm going to use it. It's, there's another thing to call it. It's, it's a fart box is what it is. And it's... Uh, it actually, it's got a remote control. You apparently put this somewhere, push it. It works through walls up to 50 feet. It even gives instructions in Spanish. I mean, it's just a really classy, classy, classy gift. That's my friends, okay? It's what you do after 23, 24 years. They're disgusting people. Well, <laughs> we... My, my friends are intentional about ruthlessly regifting the most worthless possible gifts. Well, we're in a series about being intentional in regifting God's best gifts at Christmas. And you know, we've talked about the gift of hope and regifting that and the gift of joy. And this week I want to talk a little bit about regifting God's gift of peace. And before I kind of read the scripture, because this will be a scripture we'll use at Christmas Eve also. I hope you're planning on coming to the Christmas Eve service. There's... Uh, little invitations on all of your chairs and invite somebody. This could be the service. This could be a time that changes their life. More people that don't normally attend church will come at Christmas Eve than any other time, including Easter. And so don't waste that. Don't waste that. Invite somebody to come 
come with you. So let's read. Uh, Luke 2 and verse 8. I'll read it and you just kind of follow along. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. They were guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. You know, just a thought. When God intervenes in your life, ultimately it's good, but at first it can be terrifying. Do you agree with that? When God wants to move you forward, it can be kind of startling. It can be kind of startling. That's what happened to them. They, they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I want you to think about that. He says, peace. When the spirit of Jesus is there, there will be peace. And it will be peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. You know, for most of us, peace is elusive. Many of us, anyway, this Christmas. We, we'd love to have some internal peace. Maybe we regret some mistakes that we made this year. Or maybe at some point in our past, they keep coming up, keep coming up, keep coming up, and we would just like to have peace. Or maybe it's not so much a mistake, but it's a weakness inside of us, weak area. And maybe it's, 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 it, it, you're ashamed, and you wish that people didn't know, and you want to be better, and, and you can't have peace. So we try to do all kinds of things. We try to find ourselves through relationships, through work, through travel, but internal peace is elusive. For others, we long for peace in relationships. You know, maybe we're looking for someone to share our life with, and we're looking for the right person, and, and, and we just feel like it, it, if, I could just, if I could just have that relationship, I, there would be peace in this area that brings turmoil. Or maybe it's a situation where uh, we avoid conflict in order to keep the peace. Maybe that's you. Maybe it happened at Thanksgiving. Or maybe it's, you just anticipate it happening this week in gathering of family. And There's always somebody that stirs it up. Do you have somebody like that in your family? Don't point. They just stir it up. Maybe it's politics or maybe it's something that people disagree on and, and you just want to fix it. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Let's just, you're the fix it person. Let's just, but it causes turmoil inside of you thinking about that. Or maybe it's you. We get frustrated and angry over the mistakes of those around us and we're not at peace. Relational peace can sometimes be elusive and some of us, we struggle with an uncertain tomorrow. Maybe there's a doctor's report or there's a financial situation or maybe we even think about the world that we live in and what is it like and what's it gonna be like and we want to have peace. So where can we find that? The angel said that peace could be found in a manger in Bethlehem. He said a Savior is born. And it's, and it's going to be a peaceful situation. I love the, 
kind of the word picture. You're going you're gonna to find him in a manger and swaddled and wrapped in cloth. And, you know, Hallmark has made billions with the cards that show that. And why are they so popular? Because we want peace. We crave peace. We're looking for that peaceful place in our past or that peaceful place we can, we can live where we can, we can just, just give me a little place around me that can be peace in, in a chaotic environment. And the, and the angel said, where the spirit of Jesus is, where Jesus is, there's going to be peace. And so he said, go, go find him. And would you agree with me, while it's important to find Nemo and Dory, it's crucial that we find peace. I thought that was pretty funny. I wrote that myself, actually. <laughs> and you'll, be, you, you'll begin finding peace in the same place the shepherds did, in a place where Jesus dwells and Jesus is. So let me talk to you about kind of three, three ways Jesus brings peace, and then I wanna, I wanna invite you on a journey together with us as we close this service, okay? So the, the first thing, place that Jesus brings peace is to my soul. He brings peace to my soul. How does he do that? By making things right between me and God. In fact, in Romans 5 and verse one, let's read this verse out loud. Here in the campuses, wherever you are, can we read it out loud together? Start. Therefore, a lot of times we move our lips when we read out loud. Okay, so let's do it again. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. See, Jesus brings peace. We have peace with God. That's the beginning of peace in our soul. You were created to be in harmony with the Creator. And when you're in harmony with the creator, then it works. It works. You're at peace. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, God gave us a conscience that lets us know when we're not at peace with the creator. The conscience is like the warning lights that go off on the dashboard of your life. How many of you have warning lights that go off in your car? Anybody seen warning lights? How many of you have a warning light currently that you have not dealt with in months? And it's, it's in your car. It goes off. And that warning light says what? Something is wrong. If you don't get it fixed, you're going to have a problem. Okay, right? You ignore it. But it's still there. The same thing that our conscience does. It says something is wrong. The wrong is called sin. It separates us from God. It gets us out of harmony. When you are in harmony with God, life works. Life works. It lives really well. But when you're not in harmony with God, life doesn't work. Life doesn't work. The Bible says a lot. I won't get it. So anyway, so you have a conscience. And it says that Jesus came and he became the sacrifice for our wrongness, our sin, so that we could have peace with God. And so when you, when you come into a relationship with him, you have peace with God, it says, the scripture said earlier that uh, peace on earth 
and to those whom God favors or loves or showers with his blessing. And that becomes you. you you're a person who is favored by God, by faith, by faith. Now, how many of you have ever had false warning lights on the dashboard of your car? Anybody had those? Come on, they shouldn't be there, and, and, but it causes turmoil. So we were um, driving to Birmingham, not this week, but the week before. Um, a lot of you know I'm the president of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, and church planning organization, by the way, we planted 77 churches this year. 77 brand new life-giving churches like Seacoast this year. And this coming year, we're planting another 100. So we're excited about that. A little bit of everything that you give goes to do that. And so, uh, so anyway, uh, we're driving there because we have a Christmas party. And Debbie and I, we, we, we drive to Birmingham every year. It's kind of fun. Uh, it's just a time to get away from the junk and we have six and a half, seven hours in the car to actually talk to one another, and it's great. So we're somewhere in the middle of Georgia, and a, a warning light comes on. Not the, you need fuel. That one comes on regularly, too, but this is another one. I'd not seen this one before. Okay, what do we do? What are, could, are, is it going to blow up? What's going to happen? So I immediately say to her very calmly, get the driver's manual out of the <laughs> glove box and figure out what this is. I haven't seen it before. She can't do it fast enough. You know, and when you add chaos into a peaceful situation, it makes it better, right? That's why we do that. <laughs> and so she's going through there, and she finds it. She finds the picture, and she reads what it is. And, and so we, we pull over and figure it out. And it's okay. It's okay. So we're good. So we go back, and we're driving again. Boom, there it comes again. I said, it's there again. Google it. You know, so we, we Googled because Google is great. Google is the fount of all knowledge. And so we Googled it, and we found out that sometimes once you fix this particular problem, you can have false warning lights that come on. And it says, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Usually within 10 miles, they'll go off, and you're fine. If not, your car will blow up. You know, that, that's our thing. <laughs> and uh, so sure enough, the false warning light went off. And I thought about what I was talking about today, like your conscience. Some of you have an overactive conscience. It drew you to God because you knew there was a problem between you and God and you needed peace and you get peace, but now you can't forgive yourself. You've got all kind of stuff going on. There's stuff people say. There's, there's images that you have of God that aren't true and aren't correct. In fact, when I teach young pastors, I say, they, they have me teach longevity and ministry. How do you stay strong over the long haul? And one of the things I always say, I always tell them first, you got to get your th theology right. If you have a God who's angry with you all the time, you need to get a different theology. Because that's a false warning light that's going on. He was angry. His, he has wrath, yes, but his wrath was poured out at Jesus on the cross for you. And now you're in a place of favor. You don't work for favor, you work from favor. Okay? And a lot of people all their life are working for God's favor and they're never at peace And when the truth is that God favors you. God favors you. And so he came to bring peace. Next verse on your outline sheet says this. It says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. It's the place of favor that we're talking about. Where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You're in a place of favor now and someday forever you're going to be with him, okay? 
And so that's where you live. So if you don't have peace in your soul, it's probably one of two things. You don't have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Give you an opportunity at the end of this service to really fix that. Or you're paying attention to false warning lights. Somebody in the foyer just told me, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the message. I have an overactive conscience that I, I ought to be okay, but it feels like I'm just not. That's the story that you're telling yourself. Change the narrative, okay? So he came to bring peace in my soul. You were created to be at peace in your relationships. And that's regifting God's peace. He came to bring peace, and he wants you to regift it into relationships. In fact, Jesus said a little bit later on in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Children of God. He said, you know what? That's a unique characteristic. You want to, listen, there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but there just aren't enough people that are Christ followers. In fact, I was in Israel a couple years ago, <clears throat> and there's a shopkeeper when we're in Israel that we go see. He's a Jewish guy, Orthodox Jew, middle of Jerusalem, got this shop, knows the word, incredible guy. And we're, we're listening to him, and one of our group asks, are you, what, what do you do with Jesus? What do you think about Jesus as, you know, an Orthodox Jew? And he said, well, he said, you'd be surprised to know this, but I'm a Christ follower. And somebody else said, really, are you a Christian? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm not a Christian. He said, let me tell you why. He said, I don't believe that he was the Messiah. He said he didn't fulfill all of the messianic stuff. Now, if he comes back and he does it, then I'll be a Christian. But he said, and, and I, I would disagree with him, and, and we have, and we are, you know, uh, in a spirit of uh, brotherhood can argue about that. And without getting too deeply into the theology, I wish that there were more Christians that were like him, that were Christ followers. He said, what I do is I read his word, try to follow it as much as I can every day. And that's, that's what God wants you to be. Jesus says that you are a peacemaker, that that's the gift that you re-gift to the world. And when you do, you look most like God. You look, your family resemblance is there. Is when you're a peacemaker. Now, are there, are you like me? Are there times in your life where you want to just, just for a minute, suspend the peacemaker and become a peace breaker? Anybody, anybody there? Usually, these days you do it on Facebook, okay? You just get this, you get mad, I'm going to punch it in and and, and you become a peace breaker. I was, uh, I was in conversation by phone with a certain provider that I use regularly in my house. I'm not going to say who it is. <laughs> they have initials. And so I, I had a small issue, just a small, I just needed a small issue corrected. I thought I'll do that, so I called them. And I got transferred, transferred, dropped, put in loops, finally got a hold of somebody, said, we can't fix what you're talking Seven phone calls. Here's what I wanted to do. I'm going to suspend my peacemaker. I'm going to become a peacebreaker because peacebreakers get the attention. How do you know that? And if I'll just Twitter their initials and then say some nasty things, they'll deal with my situation. It'll get fixed. What's wonderful about being a peace breaker is oftentimes it works. In fact, 
when I wrote my book. Anybody read my book? Okay. Um, I call it a non-New York Times bestseller. And right as it was being published, my publisher said, we want you to do some interviews and we also want you to write, you know, some blogs for Huffington Post and some places like that. But you've got to be controversial. Is there any dirt you can scrape up? Not bad dirt, but just a little bit of dirt that people will look at and go, oh, man, it gets their attention. They'll want to buy your book because controversy works. Peace-breaking works. If you want to have lots of followers on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, one of the ways you can get them is to be a peace-breaker from time to time. I'm not saying that every best-selling author is a peace-breaker. Uh, all I'm saying is that there is a temptation for all of us to break the peace. And uh, Jesus said, no, you're, you're a peacemaker. That's what you do. That's what you regift to the world. In a, in a world where people are breaking the peace all the time, you become a peacemaker. Is your conversation, does it bring peace or does it bring chaos? Does it bring anger? Your posts, do they bring peace or do they bring anger? We're peacemakers. And that's the gift that we re-gift to the world. Now, in, here's what's interesting is in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. This, this one gives you an out. I love that. Let me explain this first. Let me explain this first. It says that there are 7 billion people on the planet. Will you be at peace with all 7 billion? What's the answer to that? No. You've got your ex. You'll never be at peace with him. Or you've got a guy at work who just, I mean, he just is irritating everybody and you just would rather not be around. You've got You've got people, there are people in the world that I don't care what you do, your aunt. I don't care what you do with her, or maybe it's your mother, or your father. You cannot be at peace with them. There are people, it says, of the seven billion, not all of them will be at peace with you. Here's what the scripture is saying. Your job is to make sure it's not your fault. Did you get that? You can't be at peace with everybody. But your job as a Christ follower is to make sure that it's not your, your fault. Literally, peace is the removal of everything that keeps separate. So let me just challenge you a little bit here. What do you need to remove this Christmas that's separating you from peace in a relationship? What, what, what do you need to give, re-gift what God has given to you, which is peace? The first thing you could do is cancel a debt. That's what he did with you. Did you know that he canceled the debt for your sin? Maybe there's somebody in your life that, that there's a debt that needs to be canceled in order to bring peace. Maybe you need to forgive somebody of a past wrong. You know, I know people who maybe as a husband or wife or maybe as a, as a teammate or maybe as a, as a worker, a partner in business, 10 years ago did something really stupid. It was hurtful, it was hard, but they chose to work, work through it. And they chose to bring forgiveness. But every time, 10 years later, that something shakes the peace or goes wrong, 
you get historical. You bring up the past. You know what? That's hard. That's wrong. You're being a peace breaker rather than a peacemaker. And, and maybe it's time to give the, the gift of saying, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I refuse to because it's destructive. Or maybe you need to ask forgiveness for an action that hurts somebody else. Where do you need to be a Christ follower rather than just a Christ believer? Okay? Well, that's fun. All right, let's go on. Jesus brings peace to my soul, peace to my relationships. One more area, he brings peace to my future. See, I know a lot of people who are worried about the future. Will my education turn into a good job in the future? A lot of people wondering about that. Will I find the right one to share the future with? Will my kids make right choices in the future? Will I have strength to go through what faces me in the future? Will I have enough money to survive in the future? Will our leaders make good choices about the future? What's our world gonna be in the future? Jesus came to make peace in my soul so that I can re-gift peace in my relationships and so that I can have peace in the future. Interesting passage in Matthew chapter six. Jesus is talking to his, his, his group, his followers. And he's talking to them about money because money almost always is a source of um, a lack of peace. Would you agree with that? We worry about, am I gonna have enough? What am I gonna do? And then when you get enough, will I be able to keep it? What's going on? What's the stock market gonna do? What, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So Jesus is in a conversation with his followers about that. In the midst of the conversation, he says this. You know, he's, he's, he's told them, hey, you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or money. He says, um, be careful where you invest because if you invest certain places that ru rust and uh, uh, bad things happen to it, invest e eternally and, and all, all of those kind of things. And, and then he says this. He says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everything, everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothes. And yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are, and they didn't even have H&M back then for him to go buy clothes at. <laughs> and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. Those are money issues. He says these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Here's what he's saying. He's saying anxiety and worry are the result of a story that you're telling yourself about the future. You gotta change the narrative. Gotta change the narrative. It's a story about a loving, generous father who knows your needs and takes delight in providing for them. It's a story about changing your mind about future outcomes and believing the best and not the worst. That's what Christ followers do. It's a story about calibrating priorities, seeking first God's kingdom. 
seeking things that matter and trusting him to provide for everything else that you need in life. It's a story about using money to store up treasures where they matter. We're all a part of that story. In fact, we're all a part of a story that started before we came on the scene and will continue well after we're gone. So that's the story of our church. I remember shortly after moving to Charleston and announcing that we're going to start a church, Mount Pleasant. Got a phone call from a couple of ladies and they said, can we meet with you? And I said, sure. And so they came in to meet and they said, frankly, we just want to know, are you the guy we've been praying for? <laughs> really? Okay. Who are you praying for? And so they explained to me that they'd been praying for 10 years for a church and a pastor and certain kind of a thing. And it was, it was the vision that I had. And I thought it was my vision. And what I discovered early on is that I was part of a story that began before I got here and will continue long after I'm done. Um, it's been a great story. It's been a scary story at times. You know, when I said that, um, you know, the angel of the Lord startled the shepherds. Remember that? They were afraid. That almost always happens when God intervenes in your life. When God, when God says, you know, you've been here long enough, it's time to do something new. We all like to do something new until it's our turn. I like to control things. Anybody else like to control things? I want to control my future, but act like I'm trusting God. <laughs> Makes great messages. <laughs> but that's really not what I'm like. I want to control. It's hard for me to trust God for the future. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest for the next few minutes. I, you know, when I say that, it's like, well, you haven't been honest up till now. Let's be honest. That's great. But that's <laughs> not what it's about. Um... Over the years, people have asked me a lot, in a lot of different ways, did you ever dream Seacoast would be like it is today? I, that, every once in a while, I'll do newspaper interviews, magazine articles, things like that. I was doing one with uh, the Tennessean, Nashville. <laughs> I have a son-in-law that loves Tennessee, too. I think orange is ugly, but anyway, whatever. So, so anyway, I was doing an article. Or they were doing an article, and it wasn't a good article. It was a negative article about mega churches. Okay, and so this, the reporter was just really slanted about how bad mega churches were. And what do you think? I said, "You're going to be surprised." I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I don't particularly like them either." I said, "I grew up in a small church, love small churches, uh, but you know what? It happened. I don't know what to do with all these people." Right? <laughs> Tell them to leave, go, go away. I, I'm uncomfortable, I, I, you know, I mean, I get nervous every time I speak to a lot of people and I have to do it all the time and I like my private space and there is none now. It's just like, you know, whatever. God did it. So I, I, it's out of my comfort zone a lot. And then, and then every time he wants to move us forward, it's uncomfortable. I wish God here, here, you've heard me talk about this. This is kind of a picture of my life. So you remember in the Old Testament when God was taking the Israelites into the promised land? Did you ever read that story? And there's this big river that they've got to go, go across. And oh, by the way, it's high tide, okay? It's high tide. 
when they got to go across. You're, you're thinking, God, if you want us to go across, at least it will be low tide, right? So we can see the rocks, all that kind of stuff. But no, God always, almost always wants you to do things when it's not the right time. Anybody agree with that? Okay. So it's high tide. And then he says, here's how we're going to do it. Last time, the leader smacked the water and the water parted and you guys went by on dry land. And I, I go, I'm, I'm in for that. I'm in for that. Let's smack the water. That's fun. Then we'll go across. He says, this time we're not going to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to, uh, I want the leaders to go across the worship team first. They're the ones with the skinny jeans. And you just <laughs> get them out into the water first. And then I want, I want the leaders to go. And somewhere between, you know, the time you get in and before you drown, I'm going to show up. If that's me, and I'm first in line, I'm gonna get down and I'm gonna say, you know, I got a rock in my shoe. Y'all go ahead, y'all go ahead, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. Because that's who I am. That's who I am. And God usually goes, no, I want you to step in and then I'll show up and then we'll all have a testimony after it's over. I don't want a testimony. I just want to be at peace. Just leave me alone, God. <laughs> and so at every step of this church's life, when it's time to move on, to move into something new, I've got to lead the charge and where inside my heart's going, I just soon stay where we are. We'll stay. It's peaceful here. It's peaceful here. I, I remember our first building. In fact, you guys don't know this, but when we started this church, I was never going to build a building because that's just kind of who I am. Colorado laid back, don't need buildings. We'll just never, we're going to be a church that never builds a building. Well, we ran out of buildings about two years in in Mount Pleasant. We're in the last building we could get, and they said, you got to be out by the next school year. So, okay, we'll get a building. And so I can remember challenging everybody. We had about 225 people, 60 families rallied together. and said, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. And we sacrificed, and we gave. And we're just a few months away from actually opening the building, and the bank calls me. I love bankers. Some of you are bankers. But you, I wish you'd leave me alone sometimes. And <laughs> bank called me on a Wednesday and said, uh, unless you come up with 36000 I think it was, more cash by Monday, then we're stopping the project. We're going to give you the rest of the money. Like, wonderful. Now, for some of you, 36000 is nothing. 36000 we had already given and given and given and sacrificed. We did not have money in the bank. What are we going to do? And I'm... <laughs> I'm honest with you, I am, I'm not very good at raising money. But I won't say that. God's allowed us to use it. But I'm a pastor. I'm not a professional fundraiser, okay? I like preaching good sermons. I'm just not all that. I got friends that are great at raising money, and I'm, I want to, I'm not. I'm, well, maybe I am, but I, I don't know. Whatever, I just don't like doing it. And so I go, what am I going to do? Well, I thought, well, we have a Wednesday night service. We'll take an offering. And then I remembered we only have 25 people that come on Wednesday night. <laughs> True story. And so, except for when we're going to raise money, then we have about 18. And so, <clears throat> and so I'm thinking, okay, so I'm praying that day, and I'm praying, God, let all the rich people in our church, as if we had any, okay? Make sure they're here on Wednesday night. Not a single person of means showed up on Wednesday night. Thinking, oh, God, what do I do? Take an offering. So I told the people, I just said, hey, we need $36,000, and we're going to have a miracle. We're going to witness a miracle. By faith, I was saying that. Didn't really believe it, but I thought maybe we could, whatever. And so, well, I did, kind of. But anyway, so, so we took an offering. 
Doesn't take long to take an offering with 22 people. And this single mother stands up and says, you know what? Because when you have 22 people, anybody can stand up and say anything you want to. And so she stood up. She said, could we take an, another offering? I didn't give sacrificially that time. I explained, well, we only take one offering usually. And a guy in the front row stands up and says, I'll match everything that comes in in this next offering. I said, we're taking another offering. We're going to do that. <laughs> Good. It's great. Let's take more offerings. Anybody else want to match something? <laughs> and so, long story short, by the end of the weekend, I mean, a spirit of generosity came over our church. People came. We heard that we want to give. In fact, I had a neighbor that didn't know God from page three. And, uh, but he liked me, liked our church, and he said, I want to give. I think this is great. I want to be a part of this. It was amazing. It was amazing. But it was scary. Scary. We've got we to gotta move forward. I just soon stay here, but we've got to move forward. And so we're there today. We're there today. Um, we've got to move forward. I just soon stay here. But God says, no, you're a part of a bigger story that began before you came and will be continuing long after you leave. The town has grown. You're in a service right now that it's standing room only in here. There are people around TVs and everything else. And when I say to you, invite your friends, you go, <laughs> where would they sit? So, so we want to build the future. We want to build the future for people that will be here long after we're here. And, um, and we need a miracle. And the miracle is big. Uh, but God, I think, is saying, this is a gift. And I really do feel like, I feel like here in Mount Pleasant that what we, what, we, what, what we give, what we build, what we do is a gift to the future. It's to re-gift. It's saying, God, you have changed my life. You've changed my family. You've, you fill in the blank. And I want to sacrificially give in the, to, to the future because it's a story that started before I came and it's a story that's going to be long after I leave. And so we're saying that today we're, we're bringing a miracle offering and end of the year gifts. And uh, what was interesting is this week, one family, you know, in January or February of this year, we said, hey, can you make a commitment to, so we can know what we can do toward what we called Imagine. We're still calling it Imagine. They called and said, hey, we pledged $50,000 and we made our pledge. Would it be all right if we upped it to $250,000 and brought a gift for that? I said, yeah, that's okay. You could do that. It's great. Had a guy sitting right here this morning that came in and came to me after the service and said, I had to double what I was gonna do. I just hate that when God does that. Me too, but I think it was a good thing today. Had another guy... Uh, this past week that uh, we heard what we we're gonna do. He said, you know what, I got a, I've got a 68 Camaro that I drive about 50 miles a year, sits in a, in a barn somewhere. He said, the Lord spoke to me that I'd get a lot more eternal use by just giving it to the church and to sell. I thought, that's great, I would like to have a 68 Camaro, but that's not how it works around here. <laughs> and other people are giving in kinds. Somebody said, I've got some stock I'm gonna give. And, Others said, you know, I made a commitment in faith at the beginning of the year. I haven't seen the windfall yet. What should I do? Just give what you can. Give what you can. But I just want to invite everybody today to be a part of a miracle. As we re-gift what God has given to us to the future, to the future. A lot of ways to give. You can give online. 
you know, seekhouse.org slash give. You can give by text. I think you text imagine uh, and then how much ever you want to. You can give in a kiosk out here in the uh, foyer at Long Point, offering boxes. We, on the platform, this is kind of cool. We've got uh, helmets. Um, what do they call these? Hard hats. They're plastic, but apparently they're hard. And uh, the, it's part of the project. And you can come up and just turn a hard hat over and say, you know what? I want to give toward the future for our kids and for our grandkids and people who haven't heard yet. There are all kinds of ways to give. But the important thing is that we just search our heart and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do? And let's pray and believe God together for a Christmas miracle that our kids will talk about. They'll say, you remember that time? You remember that time in 2016 when God provided in incredible ways? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of peace that you give and, and that the context often is about resources and finances and money. And yet you said that you would provide. As we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, the good things, that you would provide all the things that we need for life, for living, for the future. And so today we're gonna trust you in that. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.